VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we talk about the officiating and VAR in the great game between Spurs and Liverpool in the Premier League. We also ask what's going wrong for Eddie Howe at Newcastle United. Is he the man to turn things around? We'll also give our mid-season report as we approach Christmas. Who are the teams, the players and signings of the seasons thus far? And much, much more, including our predictions for the rest of the campaign. This is the game. Hello again. Welcome back to the Game Podcast with myself, Hugh Wizencroft. It's Christmas week. We don't know how much football we'll get over the next 10 days or so, but we'll look back at the weekend and the season so far today. Uh, Alongside me, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark and James Restall. But we have to start with, I think, the game of the season so far. Thoroughly entertaining. Spurs 2, Liverpool 2 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. There could have been loads more goals. More red cards, certainly. There were goalkeeping gaffes, poor defending. It had pretty much everything. The sort of game that keeps people engaged with the Premier League, I think. A big win for Super Sunday. The question is, though, who deserved to win that match? That's a big question that came out of it for me. There will be more, of course. But in terms of the result, because it was hard to gauge from my perspective. There were so many chances for Spurs, but I thought Liverpool controlled large parts of the game. Alison, I'll start with you. Who deserved to win? Well, first of all, it's really rude, I think, to call it the game of the season so far. (laughs) Because it was only the game of the season so far because Liverpool were heavily depleted and Spurs had had a two-week rest. And that's not league football in my book. So it's by de facto, it's not the game of the season so far. It was entertaining, but... Not for the right reasons, I would say. I think a draw was probably fair. If you were to push me, I'd say Spurs probably deserved to win it because they were surprisingly good because they had a rest and they created some really good chances that they failed to take. I mean, their misses were gobsmacking. I could sort of see the graphic in the corner going two, three, four to Spurs and it didn't pop up. So in that sense, I felt... um, Weirdly, Liverpool sort of escaped with the draw, but I I don't start calling it the game of the season because it's not. If we've got any new listeners to the game podcast or anyone who's ever in doubt as to which team Alison Rudd supports, then I think they've got their answer there. She is a diehard Liverpool fan. But I mean, Alison does have a point a little. I I must give her that, that I don't think Tottenham would have had all those chances. Certainly if Virgil van Dijk had been in the Liverpool team and obviously that was part of what made it so entertaining 
And I don't think it was game of the season either. I think Brentford were involved in some great games early on in the season. Their match with Liverpool, for example. It was incredibly entertaining, of course. But I think perhaps it was slightly helped in its uh, the way it was magnified because of how little football we had in general. We'd all been waiting and it all built up to this big Super Sunday moment. And then it was a bit of a 2-2 thriller with a lot of lot of action-packed moments. And we're all starved of some action, having only had one game on Saturday. And everyone's going, oh, it's the game of the season. So I'm in agreement with Alison that it's not the game of the season, but for very different reasons, I'll say. It felt to me weirdly like a bit of a throwback game. Whether it's Whether it's the fact that for the first time in two years... It's a Christmas fixture with fans. It had that Christmas fixture feel of lots of teams have got injuries and they're having to chop and change quickly and there's not been much rest and recovery. I mean, ironically, Tottenham did have a lot of time or more time to prepare for that game because of their enforced COVID break. But whilst I don't think it, I don't think it was game of the season. I think I, I agree, with Tom. I think I think the three all the, the Brentford Liverpool game three all earlier in the season was the game of the season um, so far. I think it sort of ticked all of the boxes in the kind of uh, in the rate in the ranking of this had it all. I think it really did have it all. You had hilarious VAR controversy, which 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 was just utterly hilarious. Uh, you had chances galore it was Tottenham's best XG figure of the season for all you XG fans out there uh, it, it, it showed to me that they are starting to buy into what Antonio Conte wants from them it looked like it was the clearest I could see of a Conte blueprint on Tottenham this season I thought Eric Dyer was magnificent the way he was clipping those balls over the top for Deli Alley. thought Ben Davis was brilliant again at left centre back um and yes, Liverpool were there for the taking uh, more so than they've been all season. Not not only with Van Dijk out, but also Fabinho, the enforcer, who they missed massively. But I did think there were some real positives for Spurs to take. I will say one thing. I, the one thing it didn't have, which I was gutted about, was I've been waiting to tell people about Harry Kane's last red card which was for Leighton Orient at Huddersfield in 2011. And I had that ready to go to tell the world and uh, that this was Harry Kane's first red card for 10 years. Um, but uh, alas, you know, we'll have to wait another day for, uh, for that, um, thanks to, um, thanks to some, some, some shocking officiating. Absolutely, there was some shocking officiating in this game, which Jurgen Klopp in particular was very unhappy about. I guess we should talk about the, the two decisions because I think that was the major talking point for so many people. Um, Kane's non-red for the slide challenge studs up on Andrew Robertson versus Andrew Robertson's red card for basically booting Emerson Royal into the front row. Paul Tierney, the referee, wasn't called to the VAR screen to have a look at Kane's challenge, but was for Robertson, didn't send off Kane, obviously, and then did send Robertson off. Tom, I'll come to you on this as a, as a, as a neutral. You know, Harry Kane's never played for one of your, the team that you support and you're not a red, so I'll come to you first. Um, <laughs> do you think that Harry Kane's was a red card and do you think the referees and the VAR official in particular uh, did the right thing there? It was a red card, yeah. Definitely. I made a joke on a previous show very recently that Mo Salah gets penalties because he's Mo Salah. I think this might have been a case of Harry Kane not being shown a red card because he's Harry Kane. 
I don't necessarily like the cliches that get trotted out about, oh, he's not that type of player and all that kind of thing and being factored into decisions. But I genuinely watch that over and over again. And you've got to think, this is the England captain, Tottenham golden boy. It was a horrible challenge. And with VAR, I don't see how you can not give that as a red card. It can only be some kind of thought that, Oh well, it wasn't meant to be dangerous. There's some some nonsense like that. That's that can be only the only reason that I can think that it can come up with. If that had been a midfielder, or a defender, or maybe even a striker for any other team, I think that would have been a red card. So for all I gave that little dig about Mo Salah a few weeks ago in penalties, I'm going to make a similar dig about Harry Kane. Definite red card. It was really interesting. That's the most fire I've seen in Harry Kane's belly for a hell of a long time um, whether it's the fact that he's fighting whether it's the fact that he's got over the fact that he can't get his move whether it's Conte has given him a renewed vigour but I, seeing him fly into that challenge reckless as it was I thought wow this is a new Harry Kane we're seeing here I, I do want to say that um, and I'm going to be indulgent here but the reason he got sent off the last time, 10 years ago, um, <laughs> was, was, and I'll tell you why, he, he, what happened was uh, his, his, his strike partner at the time, a, a veteran uh, striker of the Football League, Scott McLeish, um, who was, tw- uh, I think he was 20 years Kane senior when they were lining up together. Uh, he said a few years later um, that basically in training they, they the, the the players were saying harry you're a great player you've got great promise you, you're a brilliant finisher but but you need to get a bit more stuck in you know this is league one so the next match at huddersfield he comes off the bench scores the equalizer and then gets two very quick bookings this is a guy who takes information on very quickly and puts it into practice on the football field <laughs> <laughs> yeah I found it pretty stunning in Kane not getting a red card uh, Alison I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this so I'll, I'll move very swiftly to Robertson's if you like um, <laughs> definite red I think Jurgen Klopp said it was a red I, I think he said that probably because he wanted to appear that he was being even handed and fair and trying to interpret the game um, without too much bias because he was so aghast that Kane was not sent off. I would I would label Robertson's action a sort of orangey type because I'd, the key thing with a red card is how dangerous the foul is and Kane's was dangerous. And if uh, Robertson hadn't been in the air, then he would have had his leg broken probably. Um, it was it was very dangerous um, for the good of the game. That's why you send. That's you know it's partly why you do share red card. It's to let people know we want to protect people from broken bones. So it's bad for all football that Kane was not sent off. It sends out the wrong message. You know, crime and punishment. This is this is why laws exist. Anyway, but the Robertson one, I don't th- I don't think it would have to be quite freaky for that to have really hurt anyone. The action he he had you can't really hurt anyone with that part of your body but it's interesting that Klopp said yes it was a red because it, it you know it was off the ball and forceful um I would I would I would label it orange but it had had Kane gone I wouldn't have been desperately upset that the, if the referee had also sent off Robertson because that's what tends to happen uh, the fact that there were two incidents in the same match and both were treated completely differently both in terms of the card shown and the reviewing of them was utterly bizarre and big backward step for the use of VAR. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. I think it's not just this weekend or this game. 
quite a few incidents over the last few weekends. It seems as if VAR has very much lost its way. You know, it's it's not giving the decisions that it's probably there to give, you know, help the referee out, things that aren't being given on the pitch that probably should be overturned. And some of them look, I mean, it's Stonewall. Come on, it's so clear. Nothing's being done, Tom. How much do you think, I guess, this undermines the use of the, the video assistant referee? don't know whether it undermines, but it, it puts the spotlight on them in a not very, very uh, helpful way, I don't think, when these kind of decisions, when the Kane one isn't being overturned, if that's not, that's the one to me where with video technology, I think that's, that's the one where it's particularly unhelpful because that'll be one for, for the rest of the season now. We will see challenges like that be given as a red card and then not overturned, which fine, some people will say, okay, well, it's not a clear and obvious error, but managers will hark back to it. And then similarly, we'll see decisions where the referee won't see it and then he will go to the screen and then show a red card. And then managers will say, well, Harry Kane didn't get a red card. And that that's where it, yeah, maybe you're right. And that's where it does maybe undermine it. I think the Robertson one, I think Alison again, this is clearly feeling festive, Alison. I'm agreeing with you again, even on a slightly Liverpool bias point. But uh, orange card, perhaps. And also, I think I would have let Robertson off because it was a foul for the ages for me, in that never has a foul spoken more for a wider society and how we're all feeling. Just booting someone, just in kind of slight anger. I think we're all feeling that a little bit at the minute. Everything, everything, <laughs> Everything's going to crap. You know, we're all getting stuck inside. <laughs> Everyone's terrified. Just, just want to boot the crap out of someone who's who won't let you have your ball back. Like I, I would have let him off for that reason alone. Tom, I can tell you also why why it was also a foul for the ages statistically, because and I have Duncan Alexander, the football statistician, to thank for this. But he's the, only the seventh player in Premier League history, Robertson, to score, assist, and be sent off in the same game. Oh, great! Have and you got a list? Elite club. I have got the list here. Um, it is. Can you, it is uh, Mark Viduka, Sean Bartlett, Bobby Zamora, Fortuné. I, I don't. I can't remember the first name of Fortuné. Mark Antoine Fortuné. Mark Antoine Fortuné. Charlie Austin and uh, Alexander Mitrovic. Fantastic. I did joke probably two years ago now that because I was very anti VAR, if you recall. And I did joke that what's the point? Because where do you find the truth? And do you need VAR to look at the VAR? And then the VAR to look at the VAR, the VAR, the VAR, and so on. But this is a classic case of a terrible mistake has been made. So, so someone should have been somewhere overseeing VAR to say, ah, we need, <laughs> we need VAR on VAR. I, do, I mean, it's, it is ludicrous that we put faith in just one other human being deciding what, what should we look at. I do think at, at Stockley Park, there's this sense of it feels like, you know, there are 10 little offices with the VAR officials on, on each game or whatever, five on a Saturday. And then there's the boss with like a corner office who's sitting there watching all the games on a big screen, drinking a, a, a coffee with his feet on the table and it's just like, oh, yeah, everything's going smooth this afternoon. You know, what can go wrong? Oh, there's another, you know, VAR decision. Oh, they'll, they'll give a red and then it's a yellow. And then they suddenly, you know, open the door, papers go flying, they run down the office, boot the door in, say, what the bloody hell are you playing at? And then suddenly it feels like the decisions for the rest of the match then change 
and you suddenly get a more sort of officious approach from the same VAR official for the rest of the match. It's not just this game. I think that's happened previously where you almost think that they're sort of, they've made a big error. It's been pointed out to them. They've made a big error. They might just be sitting on Twitter, to be perfectly honest, and, and searching for their names. It seems to be pointed out they've made a big error and then suddenly there's a huge correction on that in the second half. The only thing that I would say now is that I think Harry Kane needs to get a red and be banned for, for there to be any sort of um, integrity with the system. You know, the idea that sort of he's been booked now, the referee saw it, he thought it was a yellow, everyone move on, that can't happen. You still need to get a retrospective ban with that. This is the problem though, because because in the, in the pre-VAR days, Harry Kane would be now getting a three-match ban because that because that's what used to happen. You'd have... They look at the decisions, they go, oh, we made a mistake here. That was a reckless challenge, three-match ban. But there's now a, a, a long process that has happened and written reasoning, which, you know, rightly or wrongly, and I think we've kind of concluded wrongly here, uh, that that wasn't a red card. So it's, it's them having to hold their hands up and, and admit that they've made a mistake, having reviewed a mistake and said it's not a mistake. So I think it, it, it they're, they're just not... I'd be very surprised if they then came out now and... and and banned Kane, even though that, that that's that's exactly what should happen. On Spurs, Deli Alley and Harry Winks seem to be vastly improved. And I wonder whether we think Antonio Conte can help them have a resurgence in their careers. What do you think, Tom? Mm, maybe, but I would I would think it's probably a little bit more getting them ready for the January transfer window and uh, putting them in the shop window, as they say. Maybe also helped by covid squad changes having to, to take place they're both good players i just think we've had it before with both of them when tottenham have changed managers in recent years oh is this going to be the moment they get back in i think they're two very different players i don't think harry winks is quite at the level that many thought he would be when people were tipping him to be the solution for england's midfield problems i think he needs to get game time maybe at a mid-table premier league side and i think deli ali for all his talent has suffered from being not quite sure of what his best position is. It's something we've discussed at length in relation to England and his time at Tottenham. You know, maybe a little bit similar to Jesse Lingard. He needs to go and play in a team and be loved and be the star. And I, he's not going to do that at Tottenham with Son and Harry Kane. Conte might improve both of them, but it'll be improving them with the hope of moving them on. Oh, it sounds so much like fattening the goose before slaughter, doesn't it? Well, I wouldn't quite go that far, Alison. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, fattening the goose for market, perhaps, uh, rather than a slaughter. But, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. I'm going to stop having tomato ketchup. That's clearly what's happened, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the ketchup ban is in full effect, as we could see on the performances of Harry Winks and Deli Alley. No, in all, in all seriousness, I thought they were they were both excellent yesterday. Um, and I think it's it, it's clearly you can clearly see the benefit of during international breaks. Neither Winks nor Delhi were away with England, so Conte's had time to work with them on the training ground. Um, as we've said before, they've not had uh, they've not had matches in the last couple of weeks, and they I think when their game would have been last weekend, they trained instead. So. Um, presumably he's had a lot more time to kind of work closely with these players, whether that's to, with a view to selling them. I think that, I think um, it has been, it has been reported in the last couple of weeks that, that, that Delhi 
uh, would be allowed to go in January. Um, and I think there are there are clubs interested in Winks as well. I also I do sort of question. You know, with a long season, do they? You need squad players, and you need to have you know, particularly with well, at this point, you do, yeah. Particularly, well, exactly, and particularly, you know, the reason these guys have got their opportunity is probably because they've they've trained well. Also, because you know, Hoy, I think this was the first get the first time Hoiberg hasn't started a league match for Spurs since he signed for them. Um, so, and so, so you, you, there are going to be absences. There are going to be unexpected absences in the coming weeks, and if. Conte is getting a tune from both of these players. Then I, I, I do, unless unless you know, the, unless the aim is to raise funds and then bring other players in in January. But the markets, it's going to be so unpredictable this January. I think it'd be better to to kind of wait and see to the end of the season on those two and and and, and let them either have a run in the team or make an important contribution um, to the squad. It's interesting that um, uh, while we've while we've been uh, talking, Tottenham's. Europa Conference League match has been uh, forfeited now so they're not going to have the the demands of the Thursday night um in the new year so um so I think that's you know even more time for for Conte to get players back and to and to drill his ideas I I rally against the use of the word demand in the Europa Conference League for a team like Tottenham Hotspur to be perfectly honest yeah it's a Thursday night game no sweat let's be honest it shouldn't have been any sweat anyway for them they they're out but I, have to, I, I think they've only got themselves to blame, but I think it actually might be a positive in terms of their season and a possible top four tilt. I was just thinking, if, if you're a proper devoted Spurs supporter, uh, ha, ha, I mean, are you not completely bored, tired, frustrated by the endless rebirths of Deli Alley? I mean, even, even when he had a manager who loved him in Pochettino, there, were, there was always a mini crisis and there was always Pochettino having to explain that uh, circumstances were this, circumstances were that, and he'd come good. It's just relentless that the ups and downs, and at some point a player who's given the 46th chance of his career at a club has to take it. I think it's it's best for the fans, best for the club, best for Deli Alley that he has a fresh start. So I'm completely with Tom on that. Harry Winks, there's just there's just something B plus about him, which means he shouldn't be at a team that has top four aspirations, which sounds callous, but I think it's true. Did sound very callous. You're Sorry. right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, festive no, mood did, just took a downturn. I know, I know. It will get better, I promise. We will get happier towards the end of this. You know, it's it's drop points in the title race. You're forgiven, Alison, but it was a big weekend for the Premier League title because Chelsea also dropped points. They were held by Wolves. Manchester City made it eight Premier League wins on the spin by thrashing Newcastle 4-0. They've got a three-point lead at the top. There's a feeling, I've, I've felt this for a few weeks now, that the tide is turning very much in City's favour. There was another appalling decision in this game in terms of the referees though Ryan Fraser skittled by Edison Martin Atkinson waving the claims away Alan Shearer calling it a disgusting decision well we know why Alan Shearer called it disgusting that's like asking Alison Rudd what she thinks of a Liverpool decision I mean <laughs> I, I I wouldn't go the sheer number of goals Alison knocked in for Liverpool over the years. You Look, know, she was never given a chance. She was never given a chance. That's what I always say. I've watched it a couple of times, and I was thinking back to our lengthy discussion and debate about all those penalty decisions uh, on a recent show, and we talked about whether players were in possession of the ball or not. I don't think it's that clear cut a penalty, is it? Edison comes out and takes Fraser out. Yes. 
but whilst it's Cancelo, isn't it, who got possession of the ball. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think it was a penalty to start with because Edison comes sliding out to try and get the ball. He then obviously sees that Cancelo's going to get it, so he tries to stop himself sliding. His body's on the surface. He collides with Ryan Fraser. I, I, I initially felt it's very difficult to give a penalty. There's no sort of goal-scoring opportunity. The Newcastle player never had the ball. And then I thought, if that was a Manchester City defender, if Ruben Diaz had gone sliding across the box for a ball and Cancelo had got there first, but Diaz had wiped out Ryan Fraser, that would have been a penalty immediately. I think Edison's got some sort of grace there because he's a goalkeeper and he's thrown his torso at the player instead of throwing his legs at the player, if you see what I mean. I'm amazed you're thinking that. I'm amazed. Have you not watched it? it, it, it Edison stops. Many times. He stops moving. It's yeah, not a penalty. I, yeah, Fraser runs into him and the goalkeeper has every right to be on the ground trying to be a goalkeeper. Uh, it felt a six of six of one and half a dozen of the other. I thought I did think that I did think Fraser Fraser runs into him rather than Edison clatters Fraser. I, it's not as clear cut a penalty as I think a lot of people made it this morning. Um, it's uh, to me to me I, to me I think that was the correct decision, and certainly in the um, certainly in the spirit of um, of officiating twenty twenty one, a clear and obvious error was not committed. Mm, interesting, interesting. That's a, yeah, take that a, pen or no, a pen or no pen for the ages there. <laughs> um, look, on the relegation battle very quickly, as we mentioned, Newcastle being thrashed 4-0. They've now played two games more than 17th place Watford, just above the relegation zone. They're three points behind them, six points behind Leeds, who are just above them as well. I'm starting to think Eddie Howe's had no effect on this Newcastle United team and that they are going to go down unless we think January could possibly save them, James, what do you think? It's so tricky because uh, it, it reminded me, it reminded their position, remind, they're, in, they're in a worse position, I think, than West Brom last year, who um, didn't really get much of a bounce from Sam Allardyce when he came in. Um, and then we're kind of, but we're kind of hoping that January would be the kind of the, the window to bring in the players to rescue them. And it was all kind of a little bit too little too late. And, uh, I think Newcastle will, they will bring in, they have to bring in three or four new players. Uh, they, the defence is the absolute priority. I mean, the, the, the if you've seen the first goal, it's it's hilarious. Um, I mean, it would, have, it would have been something that, you know, my university second 11 defence would have been proud of. You know, it was really, really awful defending. Um, no, you get it. No, you get it. Oh, well, we've conceded. Um, doesn't look doesn't 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 look to me like a kind of uh, a, a, a team there that were, you know, battling to try and keep City at bay. It just looked utterly disorganised. And you, I think you're right, Hugh, in terms of the lack of impact Howe's had because you you think that okay, you can't bring any players in, but surely you work on the defence and try and make that defence as compact and as well-drilled as you can, even with the limitations in ability. But, but back to the question of, 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 you know, can they stay up? I don't think January alone can save them. I think, I think there's going to need to be a real change on the pitch in the way they're organised and the way they're able to grind out results. Because at the moment, they just look so porous and they look like any team can... Can, can, can rack up a big score against them. I worry for Eddie Howe as well already. I think um, 
in the summer, unless there is something drastic that, that happens here, they'll probably look to sign another manager who's got that that big reputation. They tried Una Emery first. Um, I mean, if they go down, for sure, but even if they stay up, you're starting to think, what could possibly happen here to prove that Eddie Howe has got this allure that, that got him the job in the first place and this incredible talent? The new owners, they want to be popular and they want to, they, they just love it when the crowd are so happy. And so it's, this has gone horribly wrong and backfired because they're actually trying to play quite attractive football, Newcastle, which just leaves them even more exposed. What they actually need, of course, is the pragmatism of someone like Steve Bruce, which makes it absolutely hilarious. And the, the fans are not, they're sort of helping them lose because they're, they're singing about oh, we've got more money than you. They're they're urging the team on. Then they're rewarding the team for leaving huge spaces at the back. And so, and Eddie Howe seems to have bought into this. I have to bring attractive football to St James's Park. It is backfire, backfire, backfire. It is quite hilarious. It's becoming more and more obvious that most of these players are there trying to fight for the life of Newcastle United, knowing full well they'll be playing for Bristol City or the like next season. It's a difficult position to be in because most teams in that position, at least the players feel like they'll have a future at the club. We need to stay in the Premier League. I want to play Premier League football. Half the squad at Newcastle won't be there come what may, I, I think. So I don't know how Eddie, Eddie Howe gets them up for this relegation battle. The thing that was interesting yesterday was that Man City, by Pep's admission afterwards, in the first half, were far from their best. But Newcastle, and Newcastle had chances, but those chances, even the penalty, the penalty came after Newcastle, the penalty incident came after Newcastle had gifted Man City a two-goal lead. And you just, you, you can't expect to be in games and fighting for points when you gift one of the best teams in world football a two-goal head start. Um, and that's and that's the problem. And it, it, it's all very well and good trying to play the attacking football and the entertaining football that the uh, Newcastle fans uh, want and the owners want. But there's no point doing that when you haven't got any kind of a platform. Some of the things we've talked about kind of just highlights that there's a complete disconnect between the realities of the squad, the manager and what's happening on the pitch and with the aura and the ideals and the philosophy and the dreaming that is going on off the pitch. When you're a team in a relegation zone and you're trying to battle and scrap your way out, those things off the pitch, both signing some experienced pros, getting the crowd behind you, accepting a bit of pragmatic football, those things go hand in hand with, you know, think about all the teams, Sunderland when they used to do it to use a team that Newcastle fans will hate. But Sunderland, when they used to do it over and over again, they would get a manager in, they'd get a couple of players in, and the fans would get behind them and they'd go on these runs. Newcastle don't have that because, as Alison says, they've got people in the stands going, we've got more money than you, we're going to win the Champions League with Mbappe in five years' time. And on the pitch, you've got players that are, as you say, Hugh, desperately and frantically trying to keep them in the Premier League with a career that they only have in mind that's going to last six months. That's where, that's that's the complete disconnect and that's where they might end up falling short. Newcastle have, uh, have while, we've, while, we've been, um, while we've been talking, Newcastle have been given permission to speak to Dan Ashworth at Brighton to, to bring him in um, as director so of football. Isn't it late uh, with, for that? This is, this, is, this is exactly, Hugh. This is, this is it. Surely with this 
takeover in the offing. We don't know how quickly it all came together, but this group have been trying to buy this football club for four years. Why on earth was there not all of the backroom team, all of the directors they wanted, all of the structure, why was none of that in place? And why with a handful of days to go until the transfer window, are they scrabbling around trying to find someone to direct their transfer strategy? The other point I would make as well um, is that uh, the last the last two times Newcastle were relegated um, to the championship. Mike Ashley did dip his hand in his pocket to get them back up at the first at the first uh, at the first possible opportunity um, because I think it was you know he, he wanted a, a Premier League asset rather than a, a championship asset. But it's an as, as has been shown, it's a very difficult, unpredictable league. And uh, we, at the moment, we've got a football club that doesn't really have any kind of structure behind it to kind of strategize. Um, so, so uh, even if they go down with all the money in the world, as, as the Newcastle fans are singing, it's absolutely no guarantee that they come straight back up. I think there would be if they spent money when they went down. They spent money again when they went down. Then, yeah, I think there would be. But um... you need to have the right manager, and you need to have the you need to you need to have. You need to have the right plan in place to execute that. You can't just there. There are loads. I mean, I mean, look at look at teams like Derby County who are in financial trouble. You know, te- there are teams in there are teams in the Championship who have, who have tried to throw money at promotion, and it is and it has massively backfired. And 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 uh, you know, I know Newcastle have got a kind of a bottomless pit when it comes to money to spend, but I I, I do think it, it's going to take more than just paying over the odds for players to, to get them back out. I think it's the, the it's not going to, there's no guarantee that it's a one season trip, the championship. For me, at least if you go to the championship, you might bring in players who want to be at Newcastle United, who value being at the club over their weekly wage. And that's why I think it wouldn't be, it would be a disaster, but I don't think it would necessarily in terms of their long-term plan be as bad as really bad recruitment. I think really bad recruitment could set them further back. And where is the championship on the sports washing index? Well, I hear it's the fifth biggest league in Europe, most watched, isn't it? So um, not as high as the Premier League, but, you know, Europa League. So, you know, it's not bad. It's not bad. No, look, I understand what you're saying. It would be a disaster for the club's overall plans to be in the championship. But, you know, Newcastle United with the right investment, Dan Ashworth might lead it. You know, I think they can bounce back very quickly if they were to go down. At the moment, it looks like they will. Not playing great football at the moment um, and not in a very good position at Christmas time. Um, I think that's just about it on the weekend's football. Um, up next, we're going to look back at the first half of the season and do our midterm report. Alison Rudd's written beautifully on this in The Times as well. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, like us, rate us, leave us a review if you want. But of course, make sure you're subscribed. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Now, seeing as it's Christmas this week, as you've already heard on the first half of the podcast, the Christmas cheer abounds currently between Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and myself. Very cheery, Christmassy people, of course. And we want to look back at the first half of the season and say some special things about some special people who deserve this gift from the game podcast and do a little half-term report. You can read Alison's and lots of other writers from the Times assessments of uh, the Premier League team so far on the Times app and in the Times right now. We're going to do our own on the game podcast, though. Let's start with the best player so far. I thought I'd throw in an easy one to begin with. Alison Rudd? Well, that is, it's so easy. It's like slicing, slicing through, slicing, slicing through custard or eating three mince pies in one sitting. It's Mo Salah. Even though he had a very quiet game against Spurs, that should not detract from what he's given us so far, which is goal of the season eight times over minimum. And yes, I might be biased because I'm a Liverpool supporter, but I also am, like a lot of Liverpool fans, very critical when things don't go well. And what makes me convinced it's Mo Salah is people I know who hate Liverpool tell me they love watching Mo Salah he sort of transcends normal boundaries so it's him why would anyone hate Liverpool I just can't understand it (laughs) Tom Clark um, would you say Salah as well because a lot of people including Pep Guardiola think it's Bernardo Silva just to make sure I don't get any angry Liverpool fans including Alison Rudd Mo Salah is probably the player of the season so far almost certainly but you've got to give Bernardo Silva a shout. Definitely, 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 definitely. We're also running a few alternative awards this week on the website and Paul Hurst is going to write that uh, the winner of the comeback of the year is Bernardo Silva because you have to remember that this guy, he wasn't a massive part of City season last season and as Paul is going to write so you better check out the article because he knows far more than I do. Bernardo was actually thinking about leaving City and had talks with the club in the summer and you know, who knows what would have happened if they'd signed Harry Kane. We've talked before about Pep Guardiola's ability to get quite a lot out of his squad and out of his players and kind of rejuvenate players and take them on to another level. But his performances this season have been absolutely unbelievable. Yes, Mo Salah has scored some of the goals of the season, but even in the match with Liverpool, there was that moment where Bernardo Silva almost took on Liverpool on his own. 
there was that fantastic moment, wasn't there, where he kind of pirouetted around three different players on the edge, on the halfway line, I think, and went on the attack. You know, he's not been outstanding all the time, but he's he's kind of embodied the ruthless brilliance, if you like, of this Manchester City team. And equally, in the same respect as to Mo Salah, everyone seems to like him and like watching him, apart from me when he goes over too easily for the penalties that he always gets given. Bernardo Silva seems like a lovely lad as well, doesn't he? Seems like a good guy. You definitely, if you know, if we went into lockdown and he was living on his own, you'd have him round for your Christmas tea. I think so. Yeah, manager of the season thus far, who you probably whoa, whoa, wouldn't whoa, invite. Whoa, whoa. Oh. Come on, who's your not? You can't look. I know Me? you're the host. <laughs> I know you're the host. I asked ask the questions. I get. I get. You can't do this. I, I ask the questions stuff. No, Come on, it's 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 Mo Salah. It's pretty. It's pretty clear. To oh, be perfectly man. honest. I'm sorry. I, 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 I love Bernardo Silva. I, I love you're going to give it Fred Silva. after the other week. Let's not be ridiculous here. Look, it's it's Mo Salah, standout player in the world, I think, right now. Um, we'll see if it continues. Bernardo Silva would have to have a cracking second half of the season. But inevitably, with Manchester City's players, they're so unlikely to win it because what happens is Pep starts taking them out of the team. You know, fantasy <laughs> football killer Pep Guardiola suddenly says, Very oh, true. Kevin's back. Kevin De Bruyne is back. Do you know what? I'm going to put Bernardo Silva on the bench for the next eight games and they lose <laughs> their opportunity to win player of the season. It's very odd, but he does it every single year. It's like whoever's playing best in this room, we've seen enough of you, give someone else a chance. Well, that's what happens when you've got such a brilliant squad. Manager of the season thus far on Guardiola. They are top of the season at Christmas, Manchester City for the first time in four years. Sorry, Jurgen Klopp. Manager of the season, and I put slash team of the season because they might, for, for you guys... I think cross in terms of uh, correlate, if you like. Alison, what do you think? Well, the manager of the season is Thomas Frank, without doubt, for so many reasons. It's the club's first stint in the top flight for 74 years. They are a small club and they don't even have an academy. They, they, they do it all in you know clever moneyball way, but they need a manager to hold all that together and they come up. And uh, they've taken, you know, they've been unlucky in the playoffs, which makes you think they're not quite ready for the Premier League. They keep trying to get there and they, they've been thwarted so many times and they do make it and look not just like they can cope, but like they can entertain at the same time. They're sort of the antithesis of Newcastle, if you like, in that, yeah, Brentford want to entertain, they do entertain, but they get points at the same time. So they are splendid. And also Thomas Frank has had to deal with setbacks and the biggest of which would be the uh, serious injury to his goalkeeper, David Rea, who is was part and parcel of those early thrilling games because he's a proper distributor of the ball as well as being a fine shot stopper. He sort of... Um, put moves in motion and then he, he he gets injured and they did wobble at that point, but they've regrouped and they do not look like they're going to even touch a relegation battle, which given all I've just said is remarkable. And Frank is also, and also he's instilled in this, um, what I love about Brentford is when it's going wrong, you don't write them off. So they go behind and then they rally and they really go for it. Their, their, their sort of team spirit and camaraderie is phenomenal. And they're doing it with players who are not, you know, nobody's coveting them. They're just, they're just a group of a group that are greater than the sum of their parts. And you need for all this to work, you need a proper manager who looks at the detail and has a strength of personality and belief in the philosophy. I am so impressed with them, and particularly 
are they your team of the season so far as well then? It would seem odd to say not, wouldn't it? So I will say no, yes. No, it's okay to, to, to be, you know, Liverpool have played some brilliant football this season. You know, it's two different categories that they fall into and that's why sometimes, you know, they can be two different answers, I think. I'm glad you've added manager of the season slash team of the season because it allows me to pick two different people, which is great. Uh, <laughs> manager, club of the season or team of the season rather, I'm going to go Crystal Palace because I was going to give Patrick Vieira a nod for manager of the season so far. Lots of Palace fans will be shaking their heads uh, and throwing their headphones down at this because they'll be going, no, it's too early. What are you on about? His team, those young players that he's bringing through, some of the players that he signed, and the fact that I think a lot of people thought this might be another Frank de Boer type moment for Palace um, after so many years of success with pragmatic Roy Hodgson. And they've been brilliant to watch as well. They've had some great performances and looks like it's a new, the start of a new journey for Crystal Palace and a lot of exciting young players. So I'm going to go for them. But for my manager of the season, and if we are strictly speaking, halfway through teams that have played 18 games, I don't think you can look any further than Mikel Arteta for manager of the season. Blimey. He's got that Arsenal team in fourth. They're fourth, Hugh. If, if any of us had said that at Christmas, Arsenal would be fourth, come on. Like we would, everyone would have laughed at the other person. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. They're playing some brilliant, brilliant stuff. They've got a team packed full of young players. He signed Aaron Ramsdale, who everyone thought was, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's turned him into a contender to take Jordan Pickford's um, England number one shit. They genuinely look really good. And they look, after such a long time, like, again, similar to Palace, they look like they're heading in the right direction. And for all the abuse and all the question marks over Arteta as a manager, in his first job, as Alison was quick to remind us so often in previous podcasts, this is his first job. I think that's pretty remarkable. So for halfway stage, manager of the season, Mikel Arteta. Wow. Okay. I think that's pretty good. Um, it's a good shout. I would have gone for manager of the season thus far as probably Thomas Frank as well with a big shout for Patrick Vieira. So we're all in the same area, I think, on on this one. And team of the season, yeah, Brent, it has to be Brentford, I think. Although I slightly disagree with the idea that they won't get involved in the relegation discussion at any point in time. We've seen good starts before from promoted sides. That's all I'm going to say, Brentford fans. It's not over yet. I think they'll know that anyway. Let's move on to signing of the season. What do you think, Alison? I think I'm going to go for Kurt Zuma uh, for a few reasons. One, he's a very good defender and um, I think he's made a difference to West Ham, both in terms of pulling together the defence and his personality. And they seem to, you know, seem to enjoy having him there. But also because Chelsea fans, I know, are still sort of a little bit sad that he's gone and maybe he wasn't quite quite going to get the game time at Stamford Bridge but there's he has a force of personality and I think if you were to analyse why West Ham are having such a good season he gets overlooked but I think he's one of those very clever and astute signings they've made at the London Stadium so good business um, and it's always good business if the team that the fans of the team that have lost the player are a little bit down about it. Great signing. Can't pick a guy who's got injured already, though, surely. I mean, that's, that's, that's got to count. That's, that's the beauty of it being a half-term report. I don't have to look into the second half of the season. Well, I mean, I, I, I sought help for this one, Hugh, because I think there's a lot of good contenders, but weirdly a lot of kind of 
under the radar contenders. If you look at, you know, City didn't didn't get their get get their star man, did they? And a lot of the bigger teams didn't make necessarily big, great signings. So there's been shouts for Aaron Ramsdale, Connor Gallagher. Don't know whether we're counting him as a loan. I think Loans that's maybe a little, yeah. We could definitely go for Connor Gallagher, couldn't we? Emmanuel Dennis, Tommy Asu at Arsenal, Liveramento at Southampton. But I, my friend James, suggested this, and I think he's right. For lots of reasons, I'm going to go for Maxwell Corney at Burnley. I remember talking about him early on and saying how both exciting and strange I found it as a secret Burnley fan to be <laughs> seeing them spend a lot of money on a player from Europe uh, rather than a, a dogged and determined player from the championship. And I think you yourself, you said that you know he'll, he'll do well, he'll play wide left. And he just looked really exciting. Those two goals he scored, I think it was away against Southampton. They were just so brilliant and so unlike any goal you'd see a Burnley player score. It must just be so refreshing. It must be a real pain for him to be kind of missing a few games. But I think he's been absolutely brilliant for them. And it's just great to see him in the Burnley team. I think all the players, I think it was Ben Mee talked about how well he's settled and how he's worked really hard to kind of buy into the Burnley mentality. And I think as much as they are down in the relegation places at the minute, they will be okay. And I think he'll be one of the reasons for it. Surely Corne just simply wins counterintuitive signing of the season. <laughs> that's, that's really what you're saying, isn't it? Well, you know, I like to be a little bit more off the wall. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think, guys, you've made a massive error here. You know, we've heard a lot about Liverpool. Someone's got to fly the flag for Manchester United solely for his impact on the club's digital footprint alone. Oh, thank Cristiano God you're Ronaldo must be the signing of the season so far. Are we being serious here? Oh, Cristiano, I mean, without Cristiano... Manchester, where would Manchester United be? I mean, as bad as they've been, my word, virtually a one-man team here. Come on, guys. Oh, God. I, when you started that, I thought, oh, God, he's going to be serious. And then you then thank God, thank God you're joking. Thank God it's sarcasm. No, I mean, you, it is, it's sarcastic. sarcasm, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, you are. Come on. No, Come on. Are you serious? Come on. Ronaldo. They Come wouldn't on. be I in the knockout I, stage of the Champions League without him and only the, him. Yeah, but all the listeners need to know we record this. We're recording this podcast remotely, and we all have the little um, Google Meet. So I can see Hugh Wozencraft's face grinning, beaming in a cheeky grin. There's no way. It's no not way you're grin. being serious. I'm laughing at your your two answers. No, you've got no. to say realistically, Ronaldo. No, what R- Ronaldo is a signing. This is just, but this is bias. This is this is why. <laughs> I, no, seriously, this is this is why I said manager of the season slash team of the season because. I think the man- it's all about perception, isn't it? The manager of the season, we choose a plucky little club that we expected nothing of. But the best team of the season is usually the one playing brilliant football. Doesn't matter the fact they've got superstars in their team. And so you could have said, you know, Manchester City or Liverpool, Chelsea, if you wanted to, you know, but we all go, oh, well, they got so many great players and they spent so much money. So what, they can't be a great team. And this is the same thing. You're basically saying because Ronaldo is one of the best players that ever lived, the fact that Manchester United, a massive club, have signed him. Oh, well, he's expected to be brilliant, so he can't be the signing of the season so far. It's ridiculous. For a start, I'm going to have to correct you there because I didn't expect him to be brilliant. I said that he'd be fine and that Manchester United would be fine, and so it's proved so far. But uh, I think surely a signing of the season has to be, it has to factor in either great value for money. which Impact. It, he he wasn't. All right, impact, but impact in what sense? Has he massively improved them as a team? No. He's just been the guy who bailed them out through this season when they've had re- continued to have really struggling moments. Or has he come in as a player 
like, say, Maxwell Cornet, who I was like, I'm not sure how he's going to fit in at Burnley, how well is he going to play, and then shown everyone how brilliant he is. No, he's come in and he's been okay, and he's scored some penalties and a few tap-ins and, yeah, helped them out in the Champions League. You can't give him player of the season for that so far. Not player of the season, signing of signing the season. Signing of the season. You can't give him any any award. He doesn't deserve any award. Okay, it's pretty harsh. Sorry, Cristiano. I know he listens. Up next, let's look ahead to the January transfer window. Which January move would you want to see happen most? It doesn't have to necessarily be conventional. Uh, it could be interesting, funny. Alison, what have you gone for? Well, I mean, this is a bit of a pipe dream, but I would really like it if... Newcastle failed to sign anybody of note at all. (laughs) (laughs) There will be a lot of people laughing at that, everyone apart from Newcastle fans. But yeah, but I think they genuinely could. That might not be such a pipe dream, Alison. I think that could honestly happen. Well, yippee for me. I don't think it will. As I've said many times before, so many players are out of contract in the summer. They don't need Dan Ashworth for this. A decent Google search and they can find some pretty good players to come to Newcastle United. I mean, my word, most football manager managers could could sort them out, to be perfectly honest, in, in January. I imagine that probably will happen, though, despite everything I've just said. Tom, what do you think? Uh, I've got more conventional kind of January moves in a kind of more transfer-y uh, way. I would like... I've enjoyed watching West Ham under David Moyes. They need a bit of a boost. They've had a bit of a dip. I would like them to just... It's the move everyone wants to happen. Go and get Jesse Lingard back at West Ham. And as he's driving out of the Manchester United training ground, for him to throw open a door to Phil Jones and say, Phil, come in, son. Let's let's drive you down to London. I know this bloke who resurrects careers. Get in. They need defenders. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you fall over all the time. Just get in. It'll be fine. Get Phil in on a six-month loan. Turn him into, you know, they need defenders. They've got loads of injuries. Six-month loan and Jesse Lingard on a permanent deal. West Ham back competing with the big boys just to keep things fresh at the top of the table. As I said, with Arsenal being up there, United are lurking. Tottenham are looking better under Conte. We need West Ham. You know, all those neutrals need West Ham to be in and amongst the top six battle. So I would like West Ham to spend a bit of money. I I would say that's genius. You should be a sporting director. You can have Jesse Lingard for 10 million quid, but you've got to take Phil Jones on loan till the end of the season. Newcastle versus West Ham. Whoever takes Phil Jones, you get Jesse Lingard. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's a good deal. But I think West Ham, I genuinely think, you know, Moisey could Moisey could uh, bring Phil back to life. That'd be a great tale, wouldn't it? Just to see not Phil Jones. Absolutely I mean, not happening. Come on. Uh, the only other the only other one, Hugh, and this is again to try and make you happy. Uh, you've talked before about Brighton needing a striker, needing some added firepower. And I say, sorry, Blackburn fans, but I could see them signing Ben Brereton-Diaz and bringing him into the Premier League to give them some added firepower uh, up front. That's one I like. I like that one. Um, I, I too, I too wanted to see Jesse Lingard go to West Ham because it's the, you know, it's the it's Christmas time, and you know, love stories and those romantic Christmas movies. You know, just Moisey embracing Jesse at the end of the movie, perfect. That's exactly what you want to see this time of year. I also think someone should get Harland, Erling Harland, this. January window. Let's think about this now. He's got a release clause, sixty-three million pounds in the summer. If you spend what 110, 120 million in January, you could get Haaland. You know, uh, Dortmund are out of the Champions League. They've lost a big pot of money. They could recoup that. 
plus the money they would have got for Haaland in the summer by selling him early. The fans wouldn't like it. It would give up their chance of winning trophies probably against Bayern Munich this season. But he could come to the Premier League and that, and that would be good. I don't know who for. I'd love to say Manchester United, but we've got six forwards already, so that's not going to happen. So I don't know. Okay, finally, our predictions for the rest of the campaign. Alison? I think... Wolves will not let in a single goal for the rest of the season. <laughs> they've had their they had their moment of indignation um, at the Etihad, and I think that will add to their already incredibly strong resolve to be incredibly tight at the back. Uh, and to prove that I am not a ridiculously biased football journalist, I think Manchester City will stroll to the title. Now they seem to have. Um, they just seem to have that look about them. I don't think it'll be terribly exciting, but I think they'll probably do it. I, yeah, that was in my list. Basically, I thought probably far too long about this, so I decided to go away, made myself a brew, and came back and just scattergunned a few predictions. Marcelo Bielsa to leave Leeds at the end of the season, City to run away with the title, Arsenal to stay in the top four race but be pipped by Man United on the final day, Eddie Howe gets sacked. And, oh, and one more, Dharma Traore won't score a goal for the rest of the season. He will keep <laughs> running in on goal one-on-one and keep missing all the way to the end of the season. And I'll agree with Alison, Wolves will therefore draw every game nil-nil between now and the end of the season. (laughs) They need to sign, to be fair, they need to sign someone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net because, I mean, with a defence that's turned the corner so much, they could be, they could have a brilliant season if they start scoring. They've only scored 13 so far, I think, this season, which is the lowest amount for someone who's eight in the table at this stage. Yeah, I, I don't know what my prediction is for the rest of the campaign. I agree with you, Tom. Bielsa, I don't think he could make it to the end of the season. He could be gone sooner rather than later if these results persist. I think he'll do it himself. He'll just walk out and say, I've done all I can do with this group of players. And he'll leave with a reputation intact and no relegation. And they'll sign Frank Lampard to come in to try and keep them up or someone like that. So that is one prediction for the rest of the campaign. I also think Manchester City will win the title Manchester United to get like to the Champions League semi-finals reinvigorated under Ralph Rannick playing high pressure football yeah that, that will happen that could happen do we think an English team do we think an English team will win the Champions League yes Liverpool oh yeah 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 that's a given I mean I didn't I didn't mention that because it was obvious but yeah not Manchester City's year. I think it could be City's year. You never no, know. No, 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 no. City are never going to win the Champions League. That's going to be one of the quirks of history in 50 years' time. <laughs> Fourth place in the Premier League goes to, Tom? Well, I think I had it just Manchester United ahead of Arsenal, but Mikel Arteta still takes manager of the season for getting Arsenal in fifth. West Ham, let's shake it up a bit. Yeah, go on. Inspired by Phil Jones. we're all all closet West Ham fans after the last two years relegation Tom who's going down Watford Norwich Newcastle ditto ditto Watford Norwich okay all right it could be Burnley's year they flirt with it every season I know well and also also I I said I've said several times now Watford Norwich and Brentford but the Thomas Frank loving from you guys earlier on the podcast has persuaded me that they'll just about survive Newcastle to stay up Watford Burnley Norwich going down. Sorry. Burnley, Sorry, come guys. on. Leave my boys Newcastle alone. Newcastle to go on a 10-match winning run in the second half of the season. Kylian <laughs> Mbappe and Erling Haaland. That's it. They only need two players. Listen, thanks for being with me for the past hour or so. Um, Tom Clark and Alison Rudd. Thank you, James Restall, who was with us a little bit earlier on. And you as well for listening. We hope you have a Merry Christmas. We'll be back very, very soon. Remember, for more of our award-winning journalism, uh, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. If you sign up today, you'll get yourself one 
month free. Go online, check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you just after Christmas. Take care. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.